to Fantastic History. I'm Clay. I'm Sarah. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. Sarah, today I have a bizarre and lesser known story to tell you, um, which took place during World War II. Okay, so two weeks in a row. Yeah. All right. Sorry, guys. Deal with it. It's yeah. interesting. <laughs> but this takes place across the pond. Okay. Uh, from the perspective of last week, which would be in America. Right. Okay. So picture this. It's June 12th, 1942. Uh-oh. The dead of night. On a quiet beach far out on Long Island, a young Coast Guard named John Cullen is patrolling alone when he sees something unbelievable and terrifying. Four men have just landed on the beach in a small craft. Well, a small raft. Mm-hmm. And they're wearing Nazi Germany fatigues. Nah, that's not very cool. No, you can't do that. It's pretty bad, right? No, you should never, ever do that. Despite being unarmed, John approaches the men. Oh. Telling them to stop. But one of them approaches him, grabs him, (gasps) shoves some money into his hands. Oh. And says in a threatening manner in perfect English, take this and have a good time. Forget what you've seen here. Cullen would run away back to his station unaware that these men were also running away to hide not only their identifiable German uniforms, but also the large cache of explosives they had brought with them. Oh, dear. Cullen had also not seen the German U-boat that had dropped them off right off the coast of New York. What the hell? But most importantly, he did not know that he had just met the first members of Operation Pastoris, and more were coming to win the war by destroying America from within. Oh my God, what? <laughs> but before we get too ahead of ourselves, <laughs> let's back up a little bit. C- can we? The United States had entered World War II in December of 1941, mm-hmm. directly in response to the attack on Pearl Harbor. Right. With the U.S. involved in the war, they not only brought a hefty military presence to the side of the Allies, but also their industry bought a brought a steady stream of equipment and supplies. Right. The American industry was just as frustrating for the Nazis and Japanese to deal with as the military. So a plan was formed. It is even thought that this order came straight from Adolf Hitler himself. Mm. The plan was to sabotage American production. The project was led by Lieutenant Walter Cape, who had already spent some time in America before the war and have been active in efforts to spread Nazi propaganda within the United States. His goal was to enlist German men who had also spent time in America prior to the war, as they would have experience in the country and they'd be able to blend in more easily. Sure. Also, they'd probably be fluent in English. You'd hope. Things like this. Yeah. So the eight men that uh, Cape chose were civilians, except two who were in the German army. They were only made aware of the true nature of the project after they had been selected and had agreed to become spies in America. Oh, boy. They were taken to a facility near Berlin and revealed their specific goal was to sabotage uh, targets in America to break down transportation and production. Uh Uh-oh. They would be taught how to handle explosives, how to make explosives, how to write in invisible ink, practice their, their secret identities, and more. They were intensely trained to blend into their new identities and taught to kill 
any possible defectors within their group without hesitation. Whoa. In exchange for all of this, they would be paid handsomely and receive top jobs after Germany won the war. Okay. The leader of the group was George Daesh, who had even served in the U.S. Army. Oh, my. Also of note was a man named Ernest Berger, who had obtained U.S. citizenship before the war, of course. Cool. The project was called Pastoris, which was the name of the first German settlement in America. Mm. So their specific goals included canal locks in Cincinnati and St. Louis to disrupt the movement of goods down the Mississippi River. Okay. Aluminum factories in multiple state, a cryolite plant in Philadelphia, the Hell's Gate Bridge in New York, which was a prominent rail line at the Mm. time, Mm -hmm. Penn Station, the hydroelectric plants at Niagara Falls. Oh my. And and there are and there are more. Um, but they were also planning to set off explosions in public areas, uh, like bridges and railroad stations and Jewish owned businesses. Fuck's sake. It's the dirt it's the Nazis. <laughs> I know, but come on. And the idea of doing doing explosions and, and attacks like this was to was, it was like a form of terrorism against the American spirit. Right. To demoralize. Right. Right. And, and hopefully um, build up um, German sentiment within the United States. German, mm. you know, people who were uh, of German descent, at least. Right. With their mission outlined and their extensive training complete, the eight spies were split into two groups and boarded German U-boats. One group of men surfaced just off Long Island, and the other group surfaced four days later at um, Pont Vedra Beach okay, in Florida, just south of Jacksonville. The latter's landing was without incident, but they dressed in bathing suits, not in, you know, Nazi fatigues. Right. Now, the reason that, they, that the uh, first group landed and they were dressed, you know... Like Nazis. At, like Nazis... The reason was because if they were caught, they would they would be captured, of course, because mm-hmm. this is wartime. Um, and they said, and they determined if they were if they were to be seen and captured, they'd rather be captured as prisoners of war rather than be revealed as spies. Okay, because then that would reveal the plot mm. and possibly, uh, you know, oust the other members of the team. Sure. So they were like, if we're gonna get caught. We want them to think that we're just Germans who are uh, not trying to blend in. That's something like that. (laughs) That is. I'm just going to say it. That's real dumb. Because if you're just like turning up in your bathing suit, you can just be like German tourists. The option isn't like I'm either a Nazi soldier or I'm a spy because kind of the thing about America is people from everywhere live here. Yeah. so, well, you like see, well, you bathing see, suit be more likely to get away with it. They probably should have brought. They probably should have come come to shore on like a a fishing boat, right, or something. But I guess that wouldn't fit inside a U boat. Uh, Whatever. Yeah. This is the plan. You know what? They're, they're Nazis. They're not smart. So. So as we know, they were discovered but not apprehended. Uh, Dash claimed they were fishermen mm-hmm. when they were approached by John Cullen. But they were wearing Nazi, right. Nazi Navy uniforms. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
and Cullen said, no, come to the um, Coast Guard station with me. Mm-hmm. And they refused, and they, and they had that altercation. Both groups, after landing, buried their clothes and their explosive to, explosives to be retrieved later. They changed into civilian clothing and made their way into town. Their, goal, their goals were to make their way to Manhattan, Chicago, and Cincinnati. Hey, I've been to all three of those. Hey, there you go. Look at that. In addition to the civilian clothing and explosives, they had also brought, you know, fake birth certificates, social security cards, driver's license, and approximately $175,000 in cash. In 1942 money? I think this is uh, the equivalent of that. Oh, I was like, oh my God. But they needed they needed to be able to survive. They couldn't like get jobs while they were here. Yeah, that's fair. I guess they possibly could, but it would it, it would raise a lot of, you know. Yeah. Possibly raise some flags. So they were given money to be able to survive as they did all this. Sure. So when John Cullen returned to his station, he informed his superiors of the incident, and the following morning the Coast Guard searched the beach. And they found the footprints. Because it's beach. They mm-hmm. found footprints that led to <laughs> this cache of explosives and Nazi uniforms. For God's sake. Not guys. a very subtle find. Um, wow. And this obviously turned into a massive manhunt. Uh-huh. So Dosh and uh, Berger were sharing a hotel room in Manhattan. And on the morning of June 15th, they were about to have their breakfast. And Dosh locked the door of the room. And he opened the window. Oh. He sat down in front of Berger and said, the two of us are going to have a talk. And if we don't agree with each other, one of us is walking out the door and the other one's flying out the window. Oh, dearie me. That's quite a disagreement. So, unbeknownst to Berger, uh, Dosh had been listening to him, and he had picked up a hint of disdain in his voice regarding the Nazis. Oh. And as you recall, the team had been told that any hint of betrayal should result <gasps> in the others, you know, that them right. killing the possible defector without hesitation. Oh, my God. So you could imagine things got pretty tense. Yeah. In that room at that moment. Oh, my. So they're sitting in front of each other. And uh, Dosh had, has, you know, said, we're going to have this talk. Mm-hmm. And he proceeded to tell him that he was going to call the FBI and tell them everything. Whoa. And he could either join in the defection or Dosh would kill him. Oh, okay. And the burger immediately said, yes, I'm with you. <laughs> I don't want any part of this. <laughs> Okay. In fact, Dosh had not wanted to be any part of this from the very beginning. Despite being chosen as the leader of this team and Hmm. trained for weeks, no one had noticed that he was not interested in this plan. These have to be like the stupidest people in the world at this point. Maybe. (sighs) Okay. He decided that he would have better luck defecting to the Americans than facing possible treason in Germany. So mm-hmm. according to him, he didn't want to go through with it from the very start, came to America and said, once I get to America, I'm going to defect. And hopefully the Americans will be like, thank you mm-hmm. for 
for for that. Yeah. And be appreciative and welcoming and all this stuff. Because the Germans certainly weren't going to, Uh, you know, have that reaction. So with their mutually agreed defection, Dash called the FBI office in New York City and said that his name was Franz Pastorius. Pastor, mm. I, I keep saying Pastorius, but I think it's Pastorius. Okay. So apologies for that. Uh, Franz Pastorius, and that he had important information for FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. Oh, boy. Apparently, they were not sure if this was real or not. Yeah. Because despite the manhunt, prank calls and crazy calls in general were still a regular occurrence. There was just so much less to do back then, you know? <laughs> yeah, even though Crank Yankers hadn't aired yet. Oh, my God. You know, okay. if someone's calling and saying I'm a Nazi spy, you got to handle it with a little bit more tact than send all of our available agents to this place. So, Dosh decided that he would take this matter up at the FBI headquarters. <laughs> and that's what he did. He traveled to Washington, D.C., and he called the FBI headquarters with his story. They confirmed that it was legitimate because the details that he was recounting were not made public oh. since the discovery of that cash on the beach. Mm-hmm. So, they met with him, and he told them everything. Literally every single detail he could think of. Whoa. Now, obviously, this resulted in not only the arrest of the team in Manhattan, but also the other team in Florida. Right. So, Dosh thought that that, that was great. He was going to be hailed as a hero in America. Uh-huh. The man who defected against the Nazis, uh, you know, sided with, sided with the Allies mm-hmm. and, and America and thwarted a number of attacks. Yeah. On the USA. Well, poor Dosh did not take into account good old-fashioned American ingenuity. (laughs) Because when Hoover was made aware of this, he decided to twist the story so that the FBI agents were the ones who discovered and captured the spies. That does sound like Hoover. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Because that way, the FBI would get the glory and Dosh would get zip. Yep. Zilch nada. Thanks for nothing, idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. This had the other effect of large numbers of German nationalists being detained and questioned as as potential Uh, Nazi sympathizers. Yeah. And it also potentially pushed other spies into hiding. Right. So not only was Operation Pastorius a failure, the PR spin made it seem like America was super competent funny yeah kind of failed spectacularly Uh uh-huh so roosevelt signed a presidential proclamation appointing a military commission to prosecute the men the case would not hold up to legal scrutiny today uh because the generals appointed to preside over this commission had no legal training Mm. and all the defendants except oshawa appointed the two same lawyers oh dear but this trial, despite being held in secrecy, was still known to the public, and the public was calling for immediate convictions and executions because, uh-huh. you know, it's wartime. Yeah. And poor Dosh was not offered the thanks that he had expected, uh, in part because letting him off would reveal that he was the one who exposed the mission, not the FBI. Right. Yeah, you kind of can't do that. So the trial began on July 8th, 1942. And eventually, the um, 
the defense attorneys filed a motion that the military commission was a violation of the defendant's constitutional rights, um, arguing that the existing precedent uh, held that a military trial of a civilian was unconstitutional. Right. And this motion actually did gain momentum, and the Supreme Court even agreed to hear it, which, you know, I'm sure worried the president yeah. a lot. Yeah. And the public, of course, because could you imagine the Supreme Court saying, yeah, you're right. Let these guys go. <laughs> right. Yeah. That would have been really bad. But in the end, the court ruled against the defendants. The trial concluded on August 1st and very shortly after Roosevelt signed the order that six of the men were to be put to death. Oh my God. Berger was given a life sentence and Dosh was sentenced to 30 years for their cooperation. Uh, I guess that's something. Yeah. I mean, they didn't, they weren't put to death. I imagine Berger would not do well in gen pop though. They're like, Hey, um, this guy is a fucking Nazi. Enjoy. I suppose. Yeah, that'd be real by it. The decision was released to the press minutes after the executions had taken place. Oh. On August 8th. Yeah, they used to be a lot speedier about that back then. Well, yeah, I mean, especially because this is wartime and we don't have time to be playing around with this. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But I mean, that was something we saw like going all the way back to episodes 10 and 11 with John Dillinger that like when, you know, some of his guys were caught, they were like, they'd be captured in like June or July and executed it by September. It's just like, Mm. it was so fast back then. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, between the time they landed on the beaches and the time they were put in the electric chair, it was less than two months. Whoa. Yeah. Oh my God! Bad call, guys. Yeah, they were. Uh, they had died by electric chair. Should not be a Nazi. And uh, buried in a potter's field in Washington. That sounds right. Yeah. Six years later, President Truman commuted Dash and Berger's sentences. They were released and deported back to Germany. Oh. They were, as you could imagine, welcomed as traitors. Uh huh. Despite his efforts and an autobiography de- detailing his side of the story. Dash was unable to repair his reputation. I imagine not a lot of people were willing to read his autobiography unless they were already on his side. So. Yeah, and I think I think even he thought if Germany lost the war, mm-hmm. then he might be. They might react to him differently. Right. But that's not that was not the case. That's not how brainwashing works. Generally not. So, um, Berger died in 1975 and Dosh died in 1992. Wow. At the age of like 81 or so. Wow. Now, bizarrely, the story does not end here. It ends in 2010 when a power, when power company workers were working in a thicket in Washington, DC, they saw something sticking out of a ditch. It's a small rectangular granite slab. Oh. It was a memorial to the six men executed on August 8th, 1942. Oh. And it had been placed there in but somewhere in the 60s or 70s by the National Socialist White Party's White People's Party. Oh, bleh. It had Disgusting. It had been there on public land, unseen 
for possibly 50 years. That is so disgusting. But you'll be happy to know it was finally removed. Yeah. After discovered. Thus wiping the last remnants of the failed Nazi plot to sabotage the USA off the face of the country. Wow. Now, this was not the only plan by the Nazis to, you know, conduct spy operations and sabotage mm-hmm. in the U.S. But generally, in, in and this happened at different times in World War One. Mm-hmm. there were efforts to do this, you know, um, plant explosives here or do this and that. But during World War II, most of the ones that I found just never took off. They couldn't get it to work. I even yeah. saw one, and I can't remember the name of the operation off the top of my head, but um, they had sent some spies into New York to gather intelligence, mm-hmm. and they just lived off the money they were given <laughs> in, in Manhattan, just like living it up, eating great food, Hell going yeah. to shows. Do it. And then eventually when the money ran out, they were like, let's call the FBI. <laughs> I love that. So these these efforts in large did not work. Right. But if we come across any others that sound sound pretty fun or exciting or interesting, I'll be sure to uh, do another episode. Well, I'll tell you what. I actually learned something interesting about the Nazis this past week. Really? Yeah. So um, Hitler's private doctor invented a combination of meth and cocaine. Mm. And that's pretty much what Hitler was on for the entire war. Yeah. And a lot of the the higher-ups... We're also all on combination of meth and cocaine. And that's why they had so many stupid, insane ideas throughout the war. Like they were never going to win because they were like high as balls 24-7. Just completely coked out of their minds. Yeah, that's it's it's so bizarre because you'll see like like video of Hitler. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just looks like there's something wrong with him. Uh, yeah. Well, he had like, I guess like a lot of health problems and this was like genuinely supposed to be medicinal, like to keep him going. Sure. And, uh, oh boy. It makes sense, but it also makes you think, how did they get as far as they did? I mean, they, 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 they could have won if Japan hadn't attacked America Things could have been different. I mean, it's possible that not mm-hmm. because of their invasion of, you know, Russia or the Soviet Union. Yeah. It was, was a famously horrible mistake <laughs> very, on their end. But the, <laughs> but the introduction of the of America into the war was like a, just a, a fresh supply of mm-hmm. power that de- desperately needed and turned the tide. Yeah. Um, on one end and the betrayal of the Soviet Union on the other end mm-hmm. was just a horrible mistake, but they, they got close, which is yeah very scary. Yeah. But from listening to Operation Pastorius, you wouldn't know. <laughs> you wouldn't know. <laughs> so thanks for listening. And uh, if you have any comments, questions, uh, anything you would like to say to us, we are on Instagram. And threads 
at fantastichpod. Uh, you can also email us, fantastichistorypod at gmail.com. And please rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening to. That really helps us. Mm-hmm. And we will be back next week with another fantastic episode. See you then. Bye. Bye.